And welcome back, high and wide listeners, to another edition of Full Circle. I'm your host, as always, Jack Smith, with my co-host, as always, Steve Ferrari. We are lucky enough to be joined today by Justin Miner, who will help us deep dive into the Pittsburgh Penguins. But before we get started, I just want to remind you all that High and Wide and Belly Up Sports have teamed up with Yeats Sunglasses. Yeats makes the difference. They are affordable. They aim to provide the most unique and high-quality sunglasses on the market at an unbeatable price. Change. How do our shades help change the world? A percentage of all profits go towards beach cleanups and other community outreach programs. Comfort. Built from the latest manufacturing techniques, our shades are made for comfort, durability, and big yeet moments. Style. No matter your style, our shades are here to help you chase your vision. And I'll leave you with a quote. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight and no vision. Helen Keller. Yeet sunglasses. Check them out. Mine comes tomorrow in the mail. Sorry I couldn't have them on to show you today. But, uh, yes, they are reminiscent of the Randy Savage era of wrestling. So, yes, check them out. They're different. They're cool. And, of course, the discount code is HW. Do not forget that at checkout. All right, let's get the show rolling here. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. You're essentially, because you've been on the show before, the main show, I believe, uh, and you're our go-to guy with the Penguins. So, yes, that's right. Justin is covering covers the Penguins uh, for us here. So, real quick, boo. Okay, well, now, that's <laughs> out of, now that's out of the way. Uh, uh, Penguins, uh, they surprised a lot of people last year. Uh, they did win the Metropolitan. They finished with a record of 37-16-3 for 77 points. Um, and then I believe they lost in the first round to the Islanders, who went pretty far. So it's not like they got knocked out by anybody. Um, uh, during the season, they did acquire Jeff Carter in a pretty uh, – we'll get into that trade because he'll be with them this season as well. Uh, they did part ways with their GM. Uh, it was Jim Rutherford, I believe, and now it's Ron Hexall. Another Philly connection right there. And they also brought in uh, – who's their president now? His name slipped my Brian, mind. Brian Burke. Brian Burke. Brian Burke, like a power couple there, so you think. Uh, I'll get your thoughts on that as well, obviously. Um, and their uh, off-season recap, we saw them reacquire Philip Hollander, who I believe went in the Caspery Kapanen trade. Um, to acquire him, they got that prospect back. Uh, they acquired Brock McGinn, free agency, Philip Lindbergh, Dominic Simon, uh, Danton Heinen, uh, Taylor Fedden. Sorry, a couple of names I'm really not familiar with. Uh, Jared McCann was traded to Toronto. Brandon Tanev did go in the expansion draft, and I believe Cody Cece signed a lucrative deal for him with Edmonton. Um, Yes, and to start the season right now, Crosby is going to miss some time with a wrist injury, and Malkin looks like he could miss the first two months of the season with a knee injury. Okay, I laid all that out. Justin, I'm going to hand it over to you at this point. If you could, just break down how last season went for you. I don't know if we could call you guys favorites going in. Maybe you guys felt differently. However, you did win a division. Tell us what you thought about last season and the offseason so far. Well, I mean, I, I think last season was an extreme success in the, that a lot of pundits and more casual observers didn't really anticipate us being 
at the top of that division when they announced the realignments for the divisions. It looked more like we would be possibly the third or fourth best team in that division. And uh, I, I think we surprised a lot of people with how well we performed in the regular season, especially considering our injury situation. And then uh, this offseason was uh, pretty trying for a lot of teams, I think. Uh, you look around the league and with the, the flat cap, a lot of teams had to go through a lot of restructuring and, and the Penguins were victims to that as well. You saw with having to trade Jared McCann uh, in order to kind of better align ourselves for the expansion draft and losing Brandon Tanev, uh, which I, I find kind of comedic because I remember when that contract was signed with Brandon Tanev, the six years, $3.25 million a year, everybody was just up in arms on, on Pittsburgh Twitter about how bad of a contract that was. And then when the expansion draft happened, it was like a, a complete 180 where everybody was up in arms that we allowed Brandon Tanev to be exposed. Um, but in hindsight, that made the most sense for the Penguins, I think, they had a lot more information, especially as far as the Malkin injury was concerned, that we needed to protect our center depth, and that's why they chose to protect Jeff Carter, which seemed odd at the time, but now looking at the injury situation, it makes a lot more sense that we protected Jeff Carter knowing our center depth right now. <clears throat> On top of that, adding a guy like uh, Brock McGinn pretty much is – almost a one-for-one -one replacement for Brandon Tanev. Uh, I think, again, brings a little bit more offensively than Tanev did, uh, but he's got kind of that same energy. I think Tanev was a little bit tougher to play against than Brock McGinn, but I think that one's going to kind of come out in the wash in the end. Uh, the kind of low-key underrated decision right now looks like Brian Boyle who has had a fantastic training camp so far. I think he's got three or four goals in the scrimmages that they've played so far, uh, bringing him in to be probably our fourth-line center at least to start the season until the rest of our centers get healthy could prove to be a big difference uh, as the season progresses. Okay, yeah, so I'm looking at some of the projected lines right now, um, and obviously you have two major centers out, so let's keep that in mind. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it does seem like – now, is there anybody on here that we should expect to see, any young prospects that could potentially knock on the door on any position, really, to make the team? Uh, I think coming into camp, we – could have possibly seen a guy like uh, Philip Hollander possibly, you know, taking that next step in his development, but he's been injured throughout the last few days of training camp. So I don't know what that injury situation is and whether or not that deters management from giving a roster spot to him. Uh, the other, I think two major prospects that are kind of on the cusp of breaking onto the roster would be, uh, Samuel Poulon and uh, Nathan Legare are both very close to to taking that next step. 
But with our depth at wing, because all of those guys are natural wingers, I don't know if they make the opening day roster, uh, but those are definitely guys that I could see with call-up potential down the road and, and possibly earning some ice time uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, Pullen was a guy that I, I kind of thought we might see a little bit last year. Um, I think he got in a game the prior year. Uh, I could be mistaken thinking of someone else, but I, I kind of thought we might see him. So this year it would make a lot of sense. Um, but you're right. They, they're fairly deep on the, the winger position. Um, center definitely seems to be the area of need. So my guess is uh, Poulin's probably your first call up, maybe, if, if you need a guy to, to fit into the uh, middle six there. And I don't think that would be a bad idea. I know it sounds like he's pretty close to NHL ready, um, but I, I think he'd be an exciting player to get in the lineup. And I would be kind of surprised if we didn't see him at some point. Yeah, definitely. I could see him coming up. Uh, I would prefer it if it was like a middle six role versus like you lose a fourth line guy. I just don't right. know if his game directly translates to to playing fourth line type minutes or fourth line type situations. I, I think middle six is probably where his skill set is best groomed for for the NHL. Uh, and and Legaray, I think, is another guy. He's more of the power forward type. Uh, corner driving guy that can can go in and get loose pucks, uh, kind of reminiscent of a Patrick Hornquist type style play. And I think if they need that grit and toughness added to their lineup, then he would be a guy I would I could see them actually calling him up before pulling if it was determined that they needed more, you know, grit and physicality in the lineup over you know, just natural scoring. I, I think Poulon's a better natural scorer, uh, a bit more offensively gifted, but I think Legere has the more full complement to his game. Yeah, and I know it's similar to something I've talked about with people, and Jack and I have had the conversation. Like Morgan Frost, if he's going to make the team out of camp, putting him in a fourth-line role just doesn't seem to suit what he's best at and kind of wastes that talent. So, if there's not a spot, you'd almost rather see them fill it with the right type of player. Um, so you, you could be onto something there with Legere, and maybe he gets called up and plays that fourth line if they need a guy like that. But at least it seems like they have some NHL-ready talent, whereas when Jack and I kind of did the Penguins deep dive last year, it felt like they were uh, they were kind of dragging the bottom of the barrel. They didn't really have much. They had pool in there, um, but it wasn't quite as stock as some of the other teams that we looked at. So it seems like at least these guys have taken a step forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at the, all the national prints and, and everything, you can see that Pittsburgh always kind of ranks near the bottom in prospect rankings. Uh, but I think uh, one of the advantages that Pittsburgh has that a lot of other teams don't have is the willingness of the roster players like Sidney Crosby's, Chris Letang's, guys like that, to take some of these prospects as they first crack into the NHL and kind of set aside the time to help them develop and mature into NHL situations. And I think that goes a long way because we've never, I mean, we've been in the playoffs for the past 15 years. We haven't 
drafted in the top 10 or 15. So it's not like we have NHL made prospects straight out of the draft. They all kind of have to go through that same development curve. And if you look over the past 15 years, guys like Jake Gensel and Brian Rust and all those guys who were not very top end prospects come into the NHL and have a lot of success. And I think a lot of that needs to be attributed to our, our letter group showing the way with these prospects and, and bringing them in and speeding them up to NHL speed rather quickly. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I will say it, it is amazing how many times you'll, you'll see a guy thrown with Sidney Crosby and he just starts putting up points. And a lot of times for us, I'm sure fans in the penguin circle know these guys, but for us, they, they tend to come out of nowhere and more or less, sometimes they're guys we've never even heard of. So to see what some of these players do when paired with him and even Malkin to a lesser extent, but the, the, the they're definitely great at making players around them better. Uh, and that's a, a skill that I think is hard to come by and pretty much invaluable to a team. So it, you're, you're definitely on to something there and it just, it, it kind of doesn't matter. Just pair him with Sid and, and he'll start putting up points. It seems. It seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> Just to jump over to defense real quick, it seems as of right now, it's still Latang, Dumoulin, uh, Michael Matheson, John Marino, Marcus Pe- uh, Pedersen, and then Mark Friedman. Now, is that do you think that will be the opening day defensive pairings um, and players, or you know, barring injury, or do you think somebody else will jump in there and you know, even throw in potentially a Pierre Olive, Oliver Joseph. Uh, he just seems to be one of your top uh, defensive. He may, he seems to be your top defensive prospect and one of your top prospects. Does he knock on the door? Because we're we're not big fans of Mark Friedman. I we know <laughs> Hextall got him for two reasons. One, it was he was able to you know get the Flyers a little bit, but two, he did draft the guy, so he obviously sees something that he likes in him. I go to imagine that you would hope that they address it a little differently. Maybe I'm wrong, but what's your thoughts on the uh, Penguins defense right now? Yeah. I mean, much like the rest of the NHL, uh, Pittsburgh's still looking for a solid number three right-hand defenseman. Um, And oddly enough, Friedman has actually had a really good camp so far. Uh, He's been really physical, uh, tough to play against. He's, you know, I mean, he does all the little things pretty well. He just doesn't do the flashy things as well as a lot of uh, other defensemen. But for a third-pairing guy, I don't mind it. Um, as far as uh, P.O. Joseph has went, he's been phenomenal in camp. They've had him paired with Chris Letang almost the whole way through uh, the early goings because they had Dumoulin and, and Letang split up in different practice groups. So... Uh, Joseph has been paired with Latang, and they've been phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to find a way to get Joseph in the everyday lineup. It's just that we have kind of uh, strapped ourselves financially to the three left-handed defensemen that we have with uh, with Mike Matheson, Brian Dumoulin, and Marcus Pedersen. Um, I think they had intents of moving either Matheson or Pedersen this offseason and nothing seemed to transpire. Uh, as you looked around the league, a lot of other players were getting traded, but it didn't seem like teams were making trades just to make trades. A lot of them seemed to be very one-sided, 
cap dump, giving away a lot of assets to to kind of free up your salary situation. And the Penguins were really not in a position to make any of those type moves. So we kind of got left sitting on the sideline with our left-handed defenseman that we can't seem to move right now. Uh, I think Joseph eventually does crack the lineup, uh, be it it could be late in the season, um, or it just could be performance-based where Pedersen or Matheson just aren't performing and you need that young guy in there to kind of speed up your defense a little bit. And and he's a guy that carries the puck really well. Uh, he plays a pretty sound defensive game, but he's obviously more uh, offensively focused. And if they decide they need that spark in their bottom four, then I could see them moving him up. Um, but as of right now, it looks like he's going to be the seventh defenseman or they might decide to send him back because he's still waiver eligible. Uh, they might decide to send him back down to Wilkes-Barre and, and let Ricola, uh, Yusuko Ricola, who's been on our roster for years and just can't ever seem to to crack the lineup despite having phenomenal training camps year in and year out. Every year you just read about, oh, Yusuko Ricola is having a great training camp and he just can never seem to to crack that top six. And like I said, we're kind of log jammed financially with our left-handed defenseman. So I could see Joseph probably starting in Wilkes-Barre and then being a call-up later on. So going going back to the defense, and you brought this other player up a little while ago, uh, you guys brought in Mike Matheson last year, trading away Hornquist. Um, at the time, I thought it was a, a fairly substantial win for Florida. Um, Hornquist felt like a player they needed. Um, and kind of one of those glue guys, like he's, he's, he's a solid player. Um, he might take a bad penalty here and there, but he felt like a really good compliment to sit in the group. I was quite surprised when they traded him for Matheson, given, I know you saved about 500 or so in cap, um, but you got Matheson for, I believe three more years than Hornquist was signed for. Uh, just give me your thoughts on that deal. Cause I know it was a head scratcher for us at the time. So I, I'd love the, to hear it from a Pittsburgh uh, perspective. Uh, so as far as term, they were they were dead even because Hornquist had just signed a big extension. I think he signed for five years at five and a half or six million. I don't remember the exact term, uh, the exact number on it, but I know it was a five year extension. So I think term it was it was pretty much identical. Uh, yeah, losing Hornquist uh, was a big deal, uh, and a lot of Penguins fans will continue to show their displeasure for that. I don't think we fully lost the trade in the sense that we were quite deep on the wing, uh, especially when we had guys like McCann and Tanev there. It just seemed like, you know, it was hard for us to justify paying five and a half or six million for a guy that was going to play third or fourth line minutes. And that's kind of where we were stuck at with Hornquist because he didn't have the speed, uh, to keep up with the top six. So we had to kind of throw him in that third line role, which he was fine in the third line role. It's just that financially it, it felt like you were losing something by having there. It's like, uh, I, I can look back uh, recently, James Neal. Uh, I was watching him the other day in the St. Louis, Minnesota scrimmage and James Neal had a hat. Yep. And I was like, you know what? James Neal can still score goals at the NHL. I said, as far as, 
what you expect James Neal to be, he's still a really good middle six NHL winger, but everybody just looks at it and goes, oh, well, that's James Neal because of the contract he signed with Calgary at mm-hmm. $7.5 and, and I kind of think that's the same way that I was looking at it with Hornquist is that, yeah, Hornquist is still a fantastic player. He's your net front power play guy, so you at least had that guaranteed potential from him. But it's like, do you want to pay your third line left winger $6 million? And I just didn't see the justification for it. And uh, I don't know that I see the justification in having Matheson at five or 5.25 or whatever that number is. But I understand that solidifying your top four defense is a lot more important than solidifying your bottom six point. So I didn't think it was a losing trade per se, but I don't think it was a winning trade. If if that makes sense. That's fair. I mean, you, you trade from a position of strength to address a position that you needed someone at. And, and I get it. I, I think our perspective, Matheson, maybe we didn't think as highly of, um, but I always liked Cornquist, even though I hated him as a penguin. Um, I liked what he brought right. to the table. So it was just a little bit of a surprising move considering it, it felt like the penguins really uh, like it, he really helped the penguins um, despite maybe not being the fastest guy in the world. Um, but I, I guess time will tell. I mean, he's up there in age, so it wouldn't be shocking to see him break down the way he plays, but uh, I guess I guess when you, you you take it from a position of strength and hopefully you shore up another area. So not a not a winning trade, not a losing trade, but I think it benefit both sides. Yeah, and when it comes to acquiring defensemen, uh, when you have Todd Reardon as your uh, primary coach for defensemen, I, I really don't stress that much over the defensemen that we bring into this system because Todd Reardon has been fantastic at developing defensemen for a very long time in the NHL. Uh, We had him for like six years before he became the Washington Capitals head coach. And then uh, bringing him back and watching how he develops defensemen. It's just, I don't really stress. I mean, you saw the evidence with Cody Cece last year and everybody going, Oh, the the Penguins signed Cody Cece. And then you look at the contract that he just got with Edmonton because of the performance he had with the Penguins last year. It's like Todd Rudin can just coach defensemen. That's a great point. I, I kind of overlooked that too, but yeah, he, he does seem to have a, a way with those guys. So we were going over it last year. Um, I know the Penguins are kind of up there in age in terms of Sid and Malkin, Latang. We thought that might be starting a retool last year. Um, they fired the, or the GM stepped away, I guess, technically you brought in Ron Hextall. We saw what he did here. Um, he was Mr. Rebuild essentially, um, uh, hoarding draft picks, trading away veterans, um, keeping young guys down. So I, I thought that might start the retool, uh, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought the tang might be on the move. Um, and then the penguins just really put it together, uh, what do you think now of the him and Burke and how do you think they did last year? Were you on the side of, I think it's time now to start over or the hard thing is with Sidney Crosby, you got to maximize every year you possibly can. So what do you think of the job they did coming in kind of mid season? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously they were put in a very tough situation. You come in midseason, um, and I think it was only like a month or two before the deadline, so it wasn't like they had a lot of time to even uh, evaluate what they had on the roster, to evaluate what their needs were, anything like that. Um, so you saw that last year where they stayed kind of relatively quiet at the deadline, which would have not been Jim Rutherford's uh, kind of not the way that he would have handled that deadline. I think bringing in a guy like Jeff Carter uh, really helped to strengthen the the center ice position, uh, help our depth there, uh, especially with Los Angeles retaining, I think, 50% on that contract, which kind of helped us uh, from a cap standpoint. As far as the offseason, uh, I see a lot of things on Twitter going back and forth where people are not happy that the Penguins didn't bring in 12 new guys after losing in the first round of the playoffs. And I'm like, no, wait a second. We did just win probably the toughest division ever put together in hockey. Like, I think if you were going to put together an all-star division in hockey, five of the teams that were in the Eastern conference last year would have been in that all-star division, you know, like, and, and I include Philadelphia in that. Right. So it was like, you had Philly, Washington, Pittsburgh, Boston, and then uh, the Islanders all in there. And and the Penguins, you know, was the cream that rose to the top. And I think a lot of people were like, like, recency bias, I guess. But, yeah, I still don't think we're a team lying flat on our back yet. I think we're still, you know, we might be down on one knee, but I don't think we're lying flat on our back. I think... We could see the retool in slash rebuild start soon, but I think that uh, the way that Hextall and Burke are going to do the retool, it's going to be not as noticeable as it was in Philly. And, And you look at the Philly roster now, and obviously he has a knack for finding talent, um, understanding team needs and and drafting the right people for the system that they wanted to to build there, and I think he done a a relatively good job with that. Uh, I can't remember other than what Nolan Patrick. I think that was probably his biggest miss, right? I mean, other than that, I think he done fantastic. And I don't think Nolan Patrick was necessarily a miss as much as it was that was just a really bad draft year, and he just happened to be kind of elevated to the position he was because it was such a bad draft year. Yep. Uh, and then the development got rushed and everything because he's a number two pick overall. And you just expect him to be NHL ready because of the number two pick. But I think uh, another year in the oven with Nolan Patrick in minors or juniors might've helped him quite a lot. But I think from Pittsburgh's perspective, the real telling part of Pittsburgh's rebuild is going to be next offseason, right? Because we have Chris Letang on an expiring contract. We have Evgeny Malkin on an expiring contract. Uh, Brian Rust needs a new contract. Uh, and there's a couple of other young Carter. RFAs that, yeah, I mean, Carter's 36, that whether or not that impacts what we do next offseason, if he decides he wants to come back on a league minimum, 
maybe, but I don't know if you're giving Carter three or four million a year anymore. Yeah. But you know, like what the Tang and Malkin contracts look like, that's going to dictate the pace of our rebuild, right? Because if you pay him getting Malkin, I I was worried watching the Ove, uh, Ovechkin contract situation play out this year because I thought a lot of that is going to impact what Evgeny Malkin wants and seeing that Ovechkin contract play out the way it did, which I think basically eliminates Washington from playoff contention this year and possibly for the next three or four years, because I think that's a really bad contract. Not saying that Ovechkin is a bad player. I think he's still a very, very talented player, but uh, I, I think at 9.5, I don't know if Ovechkin's a $9.5 million player anymore, right? Especially, is he a $9.5 million player at 37, 38 years old? I, I don't think a lot of people would argue that he is. And I think if Malkin, if we can get Malkin at, say, 7.5 for a four-year deal, three-year deal, I think if they did a three-year extension on Latang and Malkin, that would align them with the end of Sidney Crosby's contract. So I think that's kind of the the term they're looking at is what can we get these guys for for the next three years. And I think if we can get Malkin at three years, 7.5, Latang three years at, say, anywhere from 5.75 to 6.25, then that gives us a lot more room over the next three years to stay competitive through the end of that window while still, you know, keeping our... I don't think we need to go all in on draft picks anymore. I don't think we need to trade all of our draft picks to stay competitive. I think we have a roster that's built to be at least competitive enough to make the playoffs, you know? So maybe we don't have to keep trading away picks to get that that star player at the at the deadline. And and we'll see where it goes from there, but I like I said next season is really going to be off really going to be telling for the direction that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke intend to go with the franchise over the next, say, five years. You alluded to what I was going to bring up with these uh, Malkin and Latang and Russ and everybody, uh, you know, being unrestricted free agents and what the Penguins were going to do and how that window was closing, or at least how you uh, viewed it. It sounds like best case scenario, they get most of these guys back on cheaper deals and are either able to keep certain guys who might get raises, maybe like uh, Kappen in, in, a, in one case, if not bring in other players. Um, do you see a scenario this season, and it's going to be tough with Crosby and Malkin missing so much of the early season with this division just being brutal, as you alluded to earlier, and now, you know, Boston's out of here, but now Carolina's back, and, you know, it's just, I, I think almost every single team is going to be tough. Uh, if the Penguins get a little behind in the standings and just can't quite make it up, um, could you see them move Malkin at the deadline this year? Uh, I don't think Malkin would be a target at the deadline. Um, could I see a scenario that Latang gets moved at the deadline um, if they make like kind of a backroom agreement like, hey, we're going to bring you back, but this year's just not our year? Then I could see a situation where possibly Latang gets moved because, you know, right-handed defensemen are, you know, they're the Rolexes of the NHL. Everybody oh, yeah. wants one, right? So that scenario could play out. Um, 
Brian Rust is another guy because, you know, uh, he's on an expiring contract. Uh, I I think he's an RFA. If I recall correctly, I think he's this is his last year of RFA eligibility. So they probably don't move Ryan, Brian Rust. Uh, but I would say if, if there was a trade target and the Penguins were out of contention or didn't see a scenario where they could contend at the deadline, I think Latang would be a guy that Hextall pending approval from upper management because that was that was part of uh, the at least part of the speculation as to what happened with Jim Rutherford was that upper management was like Latang and Malkin are off. Uh, we were built to ride with this core until they decide they don't want to run anymore. So. If upper management approves, then I would see Latang as probably the the deadline target that would be very attractive to to contending teams. Yeah, I could see him fetching quite uh, a return Malkin at nine point five. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean it, it would it would have to be a pretty overwhelming return, but I think on the same token, in a flat cap era where a lot of these contending teams are going to be super tight against the cap. I, I think the Penguins would have to retain some on, on a Malkin trade. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I could see that um, it, it's prorated, but with one year, if the returns there and I could, I almost see these back room deals with all these players, Latang, Malkin, even Russ, who I just want to clarify, by the way, according to cap friendly, he'll be an unrestricted free agent after this. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It's Kapanen looks to be the one who's the restricted free agent along with uh, uh, Dayton Heinen, uh, at least off, at least on offense. So, yeah, I'm just it's curious. And is there any scenario you think where for whatever reason, I you know, we just don't know too much here in Philly. It's all outside perspective where any of these guys don't return. They, they, they want to fetch money elsewhere. They seem to have been together for so long. That seems odd to say. But there's there's been some talk about, and now that he's 35 years old, it doesn't really seem that feasible. But these guys still got egos. Malkin, you know, going elsewhere and trying to to win uh, seems a little out there at what will be age 36. But it has been discussed in the past. Is, is there any of any of these unrestricted free agents uh, who's the most likely not to return? And I'm really really talking about Latang and and Malkin. Um. I think from Latang and Malkin, if anticipate one of them not returning, I would probably say Latang would be the more likely candidate to leave via free agency. Um, I so from a lot of what I've uh, been hearing is that Sid is very adamant about keeping Latang and Malkin together. So I could anticipate that probably being a very unlikely scenario, but I think as far as what the Penguins are equipped to deal with, if one of them did go via free agency, I think they are more equipped to deal with losing Latang, uh, with John Marino pretty much ready to take over that, that number one defenseman role anyway. Uh, and you just don't find number two centers like Evgeny Malkin. You know, like he's a guy that if he played his entire career somewhere else, 
he would probably have 800 more points and, you know, possibly a lot more accolades to go with an already stellar career. He just, he's kind of always accepted being a number two center. And I think he'll continue to accept that role. And I think in the long run, I just don't anticipate any of them leaving, but I think Latang would be the more likely one. And I think the Brian Russ deal is going to come in. It could possibly be announced even before the start of the season. I think a Brian Rust extension is very likely to be announced in the very near future. One thing that Hextall did do pretty well was extend younger players. Uh, we got some pretty nice deals, particularly the Sean Couture deal was very good. Uh, but, you know, since we're he was brought up, what was your initial reaction to uh, Hextall being the GM and even um, – I'm going to brain fart again as uh, Brian Burke, Brian Burke. <laughs> uh, as president, like, cause I, and, and even um, Rutherford leaving that whole whirlwind, like what was your reaction to all that? Could you say that again? You broke up just a little bit. No, I'm sorry. Just your overall reaction to, um, the hirings of Brian Burke and Hextall and even Rutherford leaving uh, abruptly as he did. I don't think anybody in the hockey world was ready for, for what Jim Rutherford did uh, as far as him deciding to step down mid season on a, on a a shortened season, uh, which was already constrictive for all the general managers across the league. Uh, And then, putting the Penguins in that situation, obviously tough to deal with. And I think immediately when the search began, there was a lot of candidates that were kind of being flaunted about. And whenever they started mentioning Ron Hextall, it was like, I don't know if Ron Hextall fits what the Penguins are trying to do right now, but Ron Hextall is definitely the GM we want two or three years from now, whenever the inevitable happens and we have to start looking at rebuilding and retooling this roster. I I think more in the know fans were quite excited by the hiring and, and bringing in Ron Hextall because it made sense to a lot of us that, okay, this kind of cements our future as far as what we can do rebuilding. But as it's been kind of observed this offseason, Ron Hextall is not a guy who is going to be aggressive in free agency. He's not a guy that's going to be aggressive um, at like the deadline and things like that. But I think that's part of the reason they brought in Brian Burke to come in with him is because Brian Burke has that experience of of taking a pre-made NHL roster and kind of keeping them competitive. I think Brian Kirk, Brian Burke's always been around top end competitive teams. And I think that's why they brought him in to help, uh, Ron Hextall. Yeah, it definitely seemed like Hextall was the guy you want down the road, like you mentioned. And Burke was the 
we're still not dead yet so we need a voice in the room to maybe keep our keep the keep the boat afloat for for as long as we can because like burke has done a great job in his career of of really taking something and and putting the finishing touches on it like i i have to think that uh he was very involved in that jeff carter trade because that it, it felt very much like a brian burke move more so than a ron hextall move so I think it was the perfect tandem hire. I think they complement each other well. Um, and as a Flyers fan, seeing Hextall in Pittsburgh was was quite jarring. Um, but it, it it seems like thus far it's a pretty good match. Um, I, I do think that Burke, once that rebuild starts, he might be the the one that maybe takes a takes a back seat. But for now, I definitely think he, he's uh, he's got a, a major hand that's going into this team. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I envision it going. Yeah. So I gotta ask, you know, we we know where this what Pittsburgh did last year. We know who they have. Um, you outlaw, you've outlined what you think they're gonna do uh, when it comes to bringing back their own players moving forward. There is really no cap space to add anybody. They're going to have a little bit of a uh, slow start, missing both Sydney and uh, Malkin. Um, last thing I'll ask you about before I get some predictions for this year and then the future of the team, how are you feeling about that goalie tandem right now? <laughs> I thought we were going to avoid this one. I, I thought we agreed to, <laughs> to not talk about this one. Oh, we were saving that one. Yeah, we had heart, so we're, we're asking everybody about their, their goalie tandems. After what we went through, we're, everybody's involved. So if you asked me, like, say, three or four years ago, and you looked at the Metropolitan Division goaltending structure going forward, you had Shesterkin for the Rangers, uh, Sorokin for the Islanders, Carter Hart in Philadelphia. You had Matt Murray in Pittsburgh coming off of two Stanley Cups. It just looked like the Metropolitan was primed to be mid-90s hockey all over again, where if you weren't getting lucky bounces, you weren't getting goals, you know? And then all of a sudden now it's like none of these goaltenders are really panning out to what we expected them to be. Uh, I still think if I was ranking the Metropolitan goaltenders, I probably have Carter Hart at number one. But if you ask me going into last season, I think Carter Hart had a huge uh, gap over the number two goaltenders. And I think it's a lot closer now between guys like Carter Hart, uh, Ilya Sorokin, and and was Igor Shesterkin. Yep. Trying to remember all these Russian names. It's, it's hard. <laughs> um, but I think where I'd end up on that list with the Penguins goalies I still think Tristan Jari has the potential to be a solid NHL goaltender. He's a guy that I don't think he's going to cost you a lot of games. Not like he did in, in the in the playoffs. I don't think that's the true Tristan Jari. I think what we saw the second half of the regular season last year, uh, he got on a streak. I think he was like 11 four and one down the down the stretch where he was just he was lights out he was our best player for probably the last month and a half of the season and i think that's 
somewhere between that is where the true Tristan Jari lies. You know, he's not – the Penguins don't have Vesna goaltenders. We haven't had – I don't think we've ever won a Vesna in the entirety of our existence. I don't think the Penguins have ever had a Vesna goaltender. So that's not like the style of hockey that they prefer to play. They just prefer their goaltender to not cost them games and let their offensive talent win them games. And I think Tristan Jari is good enough for that. Uh, I don't know. Casey DeSmith is very good. I don't know if he's an NHL regular goaltender or if he's a call-up goaltender. Time will tell. Uh, The Penguins have put a lot of focus on goaltending the last few years. If you look uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was the 2020 draft, the Penguins spent a second and third round draft pick on goaltenders. Like we were pretty much committed to saying, okay, we need to rebuild our goaltending prospect pool. Uh, and we have Philippe Lindbergh and Cal Chang. I think he's over in Finland right now playing. He played for the World Junior, World Junior team uh, last fall. And was phenomenal. So I think at this point with the Penguins goaltender is just waiting on our prospects to develop and hope Tristan Jari don't blow up. But I think think he should be good enough to keep us competitive, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's honestly kind of how I view him, too. I I don't look at him as some stud goaltender or – Really, if he's going to steal you a game, it's probably going to be few and far between. But when you have the likes of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Chris Letang, even Gensel and and those guys over the years, you can kind of get by without it. And Jari, he was pretty rough in the playoffs. But if he can just basically play solid starter type of minutes, I think that's really what you need from him. And and there were times last year where it looked like he couldn't stop a beach ball. And then, like you said, he'll go on a a nice little run there and he, he, he he shows what he can be. So I think they just need him to not hurt them. Um, And they can, they can help. They they can really stay afloat. I would put them towards the bottom of the Metro, but really it's, I think it's more of a testament to the goal goaltenders in the Metro that we're seeing now more so than maybe an indictment on Tristan Jari. Yeah, like I said, there's just a lot of really talented young goaltenders in the Metro. Um, and if the if those young kids blossom into what they're kind of projected to be at the NHL level, then, I mean, the Vezina might not leave the Metro for the next <laughs> eight years, you know, if, if, if they really turn into what they're supposed to be. And that's not even talking about the... Vitek Vanacek's, uh, Samsonov's, and Phoenix Copley in Washington. And and you Merzlikens in Columbus, too. Yeah, and Corpus Allo, both. I mean, both of those guys are really, really talented goaltenders. Um, I I think, and Frederick Anderson, I think, could have a career renaissance down in Carolina. I mean, you look at what... What his situation is, he's getting out of the media pit that is Toronto, coming to Carolina, where hockey is like ninth on the list of sports topics that they talk about. I mean, he could really thrive in the Carolina market without all the pressure of the Toronto media on him. 
Not only that, that defense is yeah. know, just insane. Yeah, I mean, if Morazic can do what he did, uh, I like the. I'll always like Frederick Anderson more than I will Peter Morazic. Like, so I agree <laughs> with you there. We named all these stud goalies. You know who we didn't name, Steve? Who's that? Metro. McKenzie. You know, we didn't name Blackwood. No, <laughs> <laughs> I like him, but it's funny. We always kind of somehow throw some shade his way. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. I uh, I agree with. I'm really happy to see the people outside of Philly still see the Carter Hart is does have that that talent because it was an absolute dumpster fire. And Justin, I asked this of everybody, so since we're on the topic, I might as well ask you now. What, how much fun and how much laughter did you get out of the Flyer season this year? Just your take on our woes. So see, I went into last season thinking that Philadelphia was the team to beat in that division. Even as low as it was, I really thought Philadelphia had all the makings of being uh, the, the top of that division. Um, obviously, things didn't pan out. It looked like Carter Hart kind of went through that sophomore regression that a lot of people talk about. Um, you guys dealt with the injuries I, a lot, even – as much as the Penguins did. I mean, the Penguins obviously went through stretches of injuries where it looked like it was just a joke. It was just a clown car of injuries happening to the Penguins. Uh, but I know Philly went through a lot of the same with the injuries. And then guys that just didn't um, reach the potential that most expected them to. I know Konechny, uh, and and for my money, I think Travis Konechny, is one of the most underrated players in the NHL. I don't think he gets talked about near enough when people start talking about really good elite middle six players. Because there's not a lot of elite middle six players, but I think Travis Konechny is one of those elite middle six players. But he had a really bad year last year. Like, I wouldn't say really bad year, but like compared to the year before, the 1920 season and the pace that he was on that year, he definitely had a down year. Um, the Nolan Patrick situation where he just never really reached that developmental potential. Um, so yeah, as a Penguins fan, it was kind of mildly amusing to see the expectations that was placed upon Philadelphia and to see them not reach the potential that most of us expected them to. Uh, I always get a little chuckle out of that, but I still think, um, they're they're still one of the top teams in the Metro, barring Elaine Vigneault not holding them back. Not, so, there's, a, there's a thing I have about Elaine Vigneault, right? Yeah, go, like, go with that. <laughs> to me, he's a three-year coach. I have always viewed Elaine Vigneault, no matter where he went, if you didn't have that top tier level of success with Elaine Vigneault in the first three years, you were just never going to see it. It happened in Vancouver. It happened again when he went to New York, you know, he took him to the Stanley cup finals, you know, his first or second year there. And then, you know, you saw it with Philadelphia kind of in his second year where they took that big, big jump and it looked like, okay, Philly's on top. Now they're ready to stay. And then the third year, you got the Elaine Vigneault. The wheels fell off. 
Yeah. What scares me about that is the one thing he had in both New York and Vancouver was an absolute stud goalie, a veteran goalie, not a young kid. And when we mm-hmm. look at who he was most critical of this season, uh, I called out Carter Hart by name a couple of times. He didn't really do that with any other player. So I don't know if that's frustration or he's trying to like get a young kid going because if he was, it certainly didn't work. <laughs> um, so that yeah, there's that's a little. Um, it's it's an issue. It can be an issue. I like Vigneault. I saw a culture change, but some guys do have a shelf life, and that, that can be scary too. Yeah, and the other thing was is that blue line severely underperformed for what they were expected to be last year too. Like they oh, were yeah. not doing Carter Hart's any favor. That was, that was my biggest thing. If you ask me, number one problem for me, it was the defense as a whole really, but really the, the pairings, like, you know, Myers, the puck was not his friend. Like, it, it was rough. You know, Braun, he's a nice guy. He's a good third-pairing guy. They had him with playing with Proveroff at times. Like, it's as much as I have my issues with Braun, he's okay on the third-pairing. But putting him on the top pair, it's like, what do you think is going to happen? You know, and it, Sanheim didn't have a good year. Um, I'm forgetting the other players. Oh, yeah, uh, our big free agent acquisition in Eric Gustafson was a massive <laughs> swing and miss. Like, it just, ugh, it, it was horrible. And I think that got in the Carter Hart's head. We uh, have a couple of guys here that played goalie. One of them, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Jason Martinez. He's a big he's a big goalie uh, guy. And it's like, listen, like, you, you can only do so much. And if you're getting beat, like, for the same side three times in a row, you you end up cheating to that side. And then guys like Brad Marchand are going to beat you because you're out. You're technically out of position. You know, and at that point, now, now you got Carter Hart breaking a stick over the, the goal. It's like it's a recipe for disaster. Then you throw in all COVID and the games are condensed. And I mean, did you say the Lake Tahoe game? Like the fir- very first goal was in what? The first two minutes, it was a two on O against the two. <laughs> like, come yeah. on. It's a nationally, like, the, it just was absolutely ridiculous. Like, and I, I think. It was more about Hart's head than it was any of his skill, you know, and that's, that's obviously that's a big thing with goaltending. But that's why I was it was I was happy to hear you say he's still at the top the uh, goalie met, metropolitan totem pole because I feel that way, too. But I'm also biased because I'm a Flyers fan and I've been following Hart for years. So it's it's good to see it here from the outside. Never thought I'd hear it from a Penguins fan, but Justin, you're just impressing me as 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 the, the whole thing goes on here. It's 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 amazing. Um, so that's great to hear. You, I mean, where do you think the Flyers are now with all the uh, acu- I'm sorry, with all the additions they made, and particularly is there one of them that's more polarizing than the other that sticks out and makes you scratch your head? What is, what are your thoughts on our off season so far and going into this season? Uh, so on, on the Flyers offseason, I think they might have overpaid for Rasmus versus the Linen, but I think the player that you're getting with Rasmus versus the Linen and how he fits into the Flyer system, I, I think the the price will will prove to be worth it. Uh, adding Cam Atkinson. Uh, I thought that was a phenomenal trade, um, especially like they traded Voracek. Uh, Voracek. Yeah, they traded Voracek back to to Columbus for that. Um, obviously, Voracek 
definitely in the twilight years of his career. Uh, I think Cam Atkinson probably has more shelf life left than Voracek has. Um, Cam Atkinson's a guy that, if put in the right situation, he's a 30 to 35 goal scorer. And I, I think Philly was lacking that deeper down their lineup. I know they expected James Van Riemsdyk to be that guy to get them 30 goals from their, their second and third line, but he kind of, you know, he didn't have the greatest year last year. So Cam Atkinson should help that a lot. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I know there was a big name defenseman that you guys picked up too, right? Yeah, Ryan Ellis. That was the uh, pro, or, yeah. uh, Patrick Drafted trade. Him. Yep. The trick. Yeah, so obviously you've got a Nashville Predators defenseman. That's an upgrade on any roster. I, I don't know what it is about Nashville. They just, they're a defenseman factory out there. Yep. But <clears throat> he's going to help solidify definitely the top pairing um, and should solidify the top four, really, because, you know, you move those guys down uh, from minutes they weren't expecting to play. I think the biggest thing with Philly – well, last offseason, that was the year Niskanen retired, right? He, yeah. he retired like right before the start of the season. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that affected the way their defensive alignment was a lot, too, because Niskanen was a guy, he was going to get you 25 minutes a night. And, and he was a very solid, very good at getting the puck out of his own zone. He might not be a great puck carrier, but very good at getting the puck out of his own zone. And that showed a lot uh, with Philly last year of not being able to get the puck from deep in their own zone to get it out to neutrals. So that was probably a part of what went wrong with their defensive core last year. Uh, so yeah, adding a guy like Ryan Ellis, that makes your defense score probably one to six, a lot better. And then obviously I expect obviously a resurgence from, from Carter Hart this year. And if I was handicapping the Metro right now, I think there's only two teams that I would say are minus odds to win the Metro. And I think that's Carolina and Philadelphia. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Philly might be even odds, but the Carolina is probably like minus 250 to win the Metro, right? And I think that's a lot of people's anticipation of them coming in, even though I think they're not as good on paper as people are. They're not as good in practice as people think they are on paper, but uh, we'll see how that goes. So I think Philly is definitely one of those teams that should be very threatening to win the division. Yeah. I mean, they, they made a lot of moves. They shored up a lot of holes. They, they made very targeted moves, which is what I liked. It didn't seem like they were, making deals and trying to fit guys into places. They, they targeted the areas of need. Um, they needed a goal scorer in Cam Atkinson. You needed a top pair defenseman to play with Provorov. And on Ristolainen, I, I would say on the surface, I think they overpaid. But I think slotting him in as your fourth D-man, third or fourth, depending on how you look at it, I think he's going to play likely with Sandheim. I, I think that move really solidified the top four in a way that you didn't have to go into free agency and and probably overpay someone. Um, You didn't have to fill that with a lesser guy. Yeah. You gave up a first round pick 
but you did it in a draft that a lot of people said was not very deep. Um, you were kind of throwing darts after the first few picks. So I think a, a lot of that move is going to get criticized, but I think Rasmus is going to fit in really well in that, in that spot. So to me, it's a move that made a ton of sense for the flyers. Um, and that's, I mean, that's why I think really put a, a bow on top of the off season for them. And hopefully, hopefully it pays off. Um, I would say Carolina is probably near the top. Um, I've got the Islanders up there too, but with the moves, I, I think we're, we're kind of thinking the same thing. The Flyers are one of those teams that uh, I think should should easily make the playoffs and be competing for the division. Yeah, so, that's that's kind of where I am. I'm not sure about the Islanders. I, I don't know where I stand on the Islanders, really, because they I, lost a lot and didn't gain a lot. I, I, I want to always say I always kind of bash them, but they always seem to prove me wrong. So until they uh, they lose, I'm I, I got to give them at least the benefit of the doubt for now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I'm well good friends with uh, Josh Oey, the race for the athletics. Just don't ever place a bet against Barry Trotz missing the playoffs because Barry exactly. Trotz just doesn't miss the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, the funny thing about the Islanders is they could be a point. They can make the playoffs by a point. Like come that close, but then they'll be the team in the Eastern Conference Finals at the same time. Like it, 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 they're just that team, and it's. I picked them to like maybe this is the year they can finally win a division or something like that, but then they'll lose in the first round or something. Like they're just weird like that. But I hate playing. That's that's certainly for sure. Um, so Justin, what is your your outlook on the Penguins this season? Are I mean our division is brutal. If they were in another division, maybe it's a different story. But like where do you have them? Yeah, I mean, if we're in another division, I think we're the third best team in the Atlantic behind, like, uh, Tampa and Florida in the Atlantic. But in the Metro, it's it's a crapshoot. It really is. Um, I, I said numerous times that I think this could be the year that the NHL playoffs looks very different. It's a bad year for it to happen because you got the new TV contracts, you got ESPN and TNT. And they could start with their first year of playoffs not having Sidney Crosby and not having Alex Ovechkin <laughs> in the playoffs. How brutal would that be for the NHL, right? That'd be wild. They can't have the graphics wrong anyway, though, ESPN. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I think if I'm – I still think the Penguins are a top-four team in the division. I, I It's fringe, right? There's – Scenarios that could play out that the Penguins could finish sixth or seventh in this division. There are scenarios that could play out where they finish second or third in the division. I think I have them solidly at number four right now if I'm fully handicapping the division. Uh, I know the Sid injury that they're talking about, you know, oh, Sid's going to miss some time, but six weeks from September 9th is like October. 19th or something like that, or October 21st, that would have him missing four games. That's not bad. And, you know, you can obviously survive that. Malkin missing two months is a big deal, but then you harken back to trading to get a veteran like Jeff Carter, who is accustomed to playing tough minutes in a top six role. And I think, I mean, unintentional foresight, it's going to kind of work out where 
having those guys miss that time isn't going to be that critical. Then you factor in the fact that we have the Olympic break this year, so we're going to have two and a half weeks off in February, where a team like the Penguins that's a little bit on the older side is going to benefit a lot more from that two and a half week break. So I think that could help them a lot coming down the stretch of the season. So I think you put a gun to my head and say, oh, do I think the Penguins make the playoffs? I would say yes. But do I think the Penguins could miss the playoffs? I I can't say no to that. I think there are scenarios where they don't make the playoffs. um, And that would probably fall on goaltending and injuries that would entirely derail our season. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it. I mean, when you have Sid and Latang on your team and Malk in a couple months in, it's it's hard to say there's no way you can see them making the playoffs. I mean, uh, those guys have done it for so many years. It, it's hard to bet against them. But at the same time, there's a very real scenario where Jari, Smith really don't play up to up to snuff. A couple more injuries happen and they might be looking at the bottom third of the division uh, finishing there. So I think they're they're for me, one of the harder teams to rank just because you can see a lot going right and them slipping into the playoffs. You can see a lot going wrong. And then even if they sit in that middle ground, I think they're probably the four or five seed. And depending on how the other division plays out, maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they don't. But to me, they're the hardest team to to rank in the Metro just because there's so much distance between good and bad with, with their end results, I guess I'll say. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Pittsburgh and Washington, they're kind of like, they've been married since uh, Ovechkin and Ed Crosby entered the league. And I think they're mm-hmm. even more kind of married now because I think one of those two teams is going to be the odd team out. Most likely, And, yep. you know, I think it becomes, does Ovechkin stay healthy and have a 35-40 goal season? Or does the wheels entirely fall off of Pittsburgh's back end, our goaltending fall apart and we miss the playoffs or our goaltending stands on its head and we survive the injuries and make the playoffs. I think it's going to come down to Washington and Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be the last team in. I I think one of those two teams is going to be the last last team in. Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. I think that that sounds very accurate and you're, you're, top teams or you probably know it's that middle that you're going to see how it plays out but uh, I do think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch for pretty much any fan of a Metro team maybe maybe a little stressful at times but I, I do think we're going to have in for some really good hockey oh yeah just make sure your health insurance premiums are paid up to date because a lot of us <laughs> are going to have heart problems by the end of this year I'm sure of it. I, I think so <laughs> Yeah, no, you guys make a lot of good points there. I couldn't agree more. Should be fun. Uh, Steve, you got anything else on the Penguins here? I, I think that's it. I think we touched on all of it. Uh, just the only thing I was making sure we didn't get off of was uh, talking about those goalies. So that, I, I think we hit everything. <laughs> yeah, we snuck it in there. Uh, Justin, I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on and talking some Penguins with some Flyers fans here. Our uh, viewers definitely appreciate it it was some very good very good talk um you want to plug anything uh no not right now uh hopefully my uh be 
working on getting my writing and, and getting my sub stack back up when the season starts. Um, it'll be Ginzer on hockey, Y I N Z E R on hockey.substack.com. Uh, I'll be writing, you know, covering the Penguins on there from a more uh, uh, biased perspective, but um, honest, biased perspective, if that makes sense. So, uh, other than that, really appreciate you guys having me on. Always great to sit down and chat with you guys. Um, great discourse. Uh, no feuding, no spitting, no swearing. You know, <laughs> typical Penguins Flyers uh, rendezvous, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, check that. Check out that writing. It's always good to see what our cross-state rivals are doing. Um, yeah, and with that, um, I'll just remind our, our viewers to check out the main show with myself, Jimmy, and Kyle, our HW website at hwhockey.net. We are on the full press coverage app. We are with Belly Up Sports. We have a high and wide YouTube channel, which has such shows as HW on the Fly and Jimmy's In Case You Missed It. Uh, check us out this week. We'll be on a couple of days. We're getting ever so close to the start of the season. Uh I believe the first preseason game, at least for the Flyers, I'm not sure when the Penguins is, but for the Flyers is Tuesday. Um, and yeah, that's that. Pre, there's preseason, then there's the regular season. So this is it. We're gearing up. Um, but uh, that's all I got this time. So uh, guys, gals, Flyers fans, Penguins fans, fly, hockey fans, uh, thanks for stopping by. See you next time. <laughs>